mean, this girl made out with this other dude and now I'm sad. And then you could come in and be like, boy, you d- you know nothing of love. Why do I sound so aggressive? <laughs> I don't know. Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are brother and sister, and this is our podcast for nerds, where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on, and tell you which one is worth consuming. Mm -hmm. And today we will be talking about High Fidelity. This is including the 1995 novel by Nick Hornby and the year 2000 adapted film. Yeah, and we're assuming you're familiar, uh, but in case you need it, we're going to do a quick 60-second summary um, in case you haven't seen this since high school. Like, I haven't heard of it since high school, so. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so the story is centered around Rob, who is a 35-year-old recording studio owner going through a very fresh breakup with his pretty serious girlfriend, Laura. Uh, it kind of launches him into this early midlife crisis where he lists out his top five breakups, uh, going all the way back to his preteen makeout bunny on the soccer field. Uh, and then he revisits the those women to see where this pattern of rejection has come from. Uh, It is filled with 90s music references, um, enough top five lists to inspire the founding of BuzzFeed, and a lot of male angst and insecurity. So much male angst. A lot of male angst. (laughs) Uh, Rob eventually realizes that he is at a point of his life where he is willing to settle into a monogamous relationship and he gets back together with his girlfriend. Kind of in that order, not necessarily in that order, but yeah, just about then. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so David, what was your first experience with High Fidelity, movie and or book? Yeah, so, I mean, you know this, and most people who know me personally know this, but I collect music. It's a big thing. I've been doing it for a while and this is sort of the only piece of media that's sort of centered around that sort of hobby, I guess. You know, if it was like a Disney Channel movie, you know, it'd be like one of those that's based on like, remember there was like a, a jump rope one? This is like the jump rope Disney movie for record club. Is this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know a how lot I more categorize this movie anywhere near the Disney Channel, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. You're saying that it's like quintessential, like it's it's like the movie for record collectors. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I remember watching this when I first started, probably in high school, and I forgot pretty much everything about it mm-hmm. besides the fact that it starred John Cusack and Jack Black. Yeah. Uh, so when I wanted to revisit this, I honestly felt like I was going in blind again because I remembered almost nothing about the movie. Yeah, so that's my experience. Uh, Amanda, what was your first experience with High Fidelity? Yeah, I was, uh, I feel like I was like vaguely aware of this movie, um, but I was still too young, like kind of when it came out in 2000, I was like young junior high. And so, and then as I got older, you know, there's there's a handful of movies that were cool uh, from like the early 2000s or 90s to watch when I was in high school. Um, and this didn't quite, make the list uh you know it was more stuff like like fight club and donnie darko and stuff like that that was really cool, cool. movies and, yeah man like cool movies and then there was like on the flip side there was like a handful of like sandra bullock rom-coms that i really loved um and 
this kind of never fell within either of those categories. And so I never watched it. And none of my friends really watched, never really watched it either. So I was like vaguely aware of it, um, especially because I was like aware of uh, John Cusack and the stuff that he had done. I knew he had done like this kind of like cool movie in the early 2000s, but I didn't like, I, I had never really watched it. I knew it was about owning a record shop and there was kind of spoofs and jokes off of it too. And so I was like just aware of it the way some people are aware of just like that memes exist, but they don't really know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, yeah. And uh, I like Nick Hornby quite a lot. I think this is the first book of his that I've actually read. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I thought that I had read another book by him, but I think I got him confused with like another author. They were kind of like in the same category of people. Um, and I really like his writing. I think he's a really smart guy. Um, you know, preparing for this, I like watched a couple of interviews with him and I think he's a really interesting person. Um, and so it was nice to kind of tick off that box that, oh, I finally read something by Nick Hornby too. Yeah, it's really funny because I had always heard of Nick Hornby because when I was in high school, a lot of his movies just get, or a lot of his books just get adapted, which is good for us. We got plenty of material. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, a lot of that. Just keep writing books, Hornby. It just just keeps raking in those episodes for us. But uh, yep. I had a friend who just loved Nick Hornby. She absolutely loved him. And so she just gave me some of his books, and I ended up really enjoying his writing style. So he's always been like one of my favorite authors so do expect me to recommend him a lot for this podcast yeah what books of his have you read uh now i can't remember a single book i've read about him thanks amanda <laughs> why wasn't uh, i prepared for such an easy <laughs> lob of a question oh my god right over the plate for you it was literally uh, like here you go david it's wiffle uh -huh. ball and i just you just called him one of your favorite authors so <laughs> and now i can't remember a single thing he's written yeah yeah. Okay. So this will this will flow nicely into book facts. So when I was re researching about him, so this is actually his very first novel, but his third book. So his first book was kind of his autobiography memoir. Uh, second one was Fever Pitch, which is talking a lot about uh, fandom. He's a very big uh, football, American soccer fan, um, and he talks about kind of that entire realm of being so consumed by fandom and like the kind of crazy things it leads you to, which I think is a really interesting idea that that's what he was thinking of when he then transitioned into writing high fidelity. So his first novel, um, he was also, he's huge into records. It clearly shows he who would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in this fandom. He collects records. Um, he was a music critic for the New York Times for a while. And I thought it was really interesting that he was not involved at all in the filming of the movie, but super involved in the editing of the movie. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the movie is very, very, very true to the book, which I was kind of surprised by. Yeah, this is like one of the few adaptations that we've done where almost scene for scene, everything is in this movie there is like yeah. nothing that was really cut from the book for the most part yeah. yeah which was interesting um it is this is a little bit stepping into your territory but it's being readapted on hulu it was originally being readapted for the new disney platform and they shifted it to hulu i think it's supposed to come out next year it's in 
post-production right now. And it is starring Zoe Kravitz, who is the daughter of Lisa Bonet, who plays Marie in the movie, which I thought was super cool. Uh, and it's a 10-episode long miniseries, which is incredibly interesting. And we should circle back to and discuss what we think about that later. Oh, yeah. I'm 100% going to watch it. What I think is wild, though, is that this was originally going to launch on Disney. Like, this is not... I thought that was a very interesting choice. <laughs> this is not an E for everyone type of book at all. <laughs> I think they were just trying to like, they're trying so hard to stomp out, you know, Netflix that they're like, just give, just put everything we have in there. I don't even care what it is. Just put it in there and people will want it. As if everyone's not going to buy you Disney. Calm down. Yeah, you already have my money. Already, it's already yeah. you already got it's already it there. You you have so much of my money already. It's just you own everything. Another five dollars a month. You have it already. Calm I mean, down. they do own Hulu, so it's basically the same thing. Anyway, uh, let's go into some movie facts. There is not a lot of movie facts. I'll be honest because <laughs> uh, this is so true to the adaptation or to the book. And so there just really isn't as many movie facts, especially coming off the Jurassic Park series where the IMDb page for like facts and search. There's a billion interviews you can look up on YouTube. It was kind of weird to not really have much to go off of. Yeah. Uh, but just some fun things. So this is the first time Dick Cusack appears in a film with Joan and John Cusack or the second time. Sorry. Who does he play? He plays the minister at the funeral. No so way. more of a cameo than a no real idea. role. Yeah. Yeah, which is I really it was interesting. interesting that they, they cast Joan Cusack as their friend. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she does a great job at it, but I want her in everything. I was so refreshed <laughs> to see her in here. <laughs> Young Joan Cusack is very, very. I mean, old Joan Cusack is very fun too. In general, Joan Cusack is great, but yeah, it was very fun seeing her as Liz was my was definitively my favorite character in the book, and it. And I think Joan did a great job bringing her to the screen. Yeah, I can. She is definitely my favorite Cusack. Sorry, John. Sorry, Dick. That's just how it works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while writing the screenplay, the writers wrote the role of Barry specifically for Jack Black. It is so hard to separate him yeah. from that role. Like, I can't imagine another person playing that role. There were a few lines of berries from the book where I was like, ugh, berry. And then John, Jack Black comes in and does it. I'm like, ah, Jack Black, good one. <laughs> <laughs> he is so good. And you can tell, it, it almost felt like Nick Hornby wrote the role for him while writing the book. It's crazy. Yeah. There was, uh, like, I saw some interviews with him and he was very surprised that they turned it into a movie because it's basically an inner monologue, like, from first page to last page, right? And it doesn't have anything very cinematic or interesting happen. Like, it doesn't have much in the way of plot necessarily. Um, but there were a couple times in the book where, like, even at, like, the end of the book where he's describing, like, the dance party happening, he's like, it was like the end of a movie. And I'm like... Did you know, Nick, did you know that this was was coming, that Jack Black would be there? (laughs) You knew this was going to be the end of the movie, didn't you, buddy? It would be very difficult to find another actor to slide into that role because it does feel very, very specific for Jack Black. Yes. I I can't imagine a single person replacing Like Rob could literally be anybody from the 90s. Oh, yeah, honestly. Yeah, but Barry would be very difficult to replace. 
Absolutely. Speaking of Nick Hornby, though, I found this honestly just interesting and maybe a little rare is that he enjoyed the adaptation, uh, maybe because it is a little literal scene by scene of his book. Oh, yeah. But you just don't see that of authors approving of the movies. Like, I think Michael Crichton openly disliked (laughs) some parts of Jurassic Park, which is considered a classic. It might have helped that he was so involved with the editing, to be honest, because they they kind of ran every option past him to see what was like truest to the story. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. But uh, speaking of the story, mm-hmm. Amanda, what in general did you think about the story of High Fidelity? Mm. Oh, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this with anticipation of of hearing what you think about it because I was yeah. so interested in your opinion. So I read first, watched second, as I do, and I read the. It opens up where Rob is is literally like has just found out about Laura leaving him, and so he, in a petty explosion, is like, you know what? You're not even the most important relationship I've had. These other heartbreaks are way worse than what I'm going to go through. And he, like, lists out his top five, right? And uh, he goes through, it kind of does it in the movie, but obviously in the book has more detail and he goes through in detail each of these women. And I finished that first 40 pages and I already hated Rob so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, maybe it'll be, you know, like the first half is just him wallowing in self-pity. And the second half will be him kind of shifting his perspective and putting his life together. And that did not happen um, (laughs) for a very long time. And so I struggled a little bit through this book. It was – Rob is a very frustrating character. And I think – you know, every review I saw of this book agrees. So I don't think that's a hot take necessarily. No. Nobody really likes Rob. I don't think you're meant to like Rob. Not a at lot all. of what, yeah, a lot of what Nick Hornby does is take kind of losers or you know irredeemable not, characters, irredeemable characters, and write something interesting about them. Not necessarily redeeming, but something interesting. And I just don't. I think that maybe when it was written at the time, you know, 1995, not many. Um, romantic comedic stories were written around main character main male characters Uh, a lot of them were female characters and so i think at the time maybe it felt novel that this was happening uh rob's character does not age well he is not no he he doesn't he is not very good in the 90s and he is so much worse now (laughs) (laughs) and so some of that novelty kind of like has Warn, like it's not very interesting to hear about his life and I don't I didn't like it like anytime he was interacting with like the many interesting females around him I was on board mainly because they were yelling at him and I wanted to yell at him <laughs> um, but as soon as it was just about Rob I checked out quite a bit and I was yeah with him. I watched the movie first, and when I saw what it began with, and then I read and found that, you know, it just sort of jumped into his, like, top five list of ex-girlfriends, I was like, ooh, did I pick the wrong book? Have I made a terrible, (laughs) terrible mistake? What have I done? What have I done? What did I make my sister just read? Does she think I'm a jerk now? Yeah, it was a little worrying at first. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, when I look back, you know, I don't know what 1995 looked like mm-hmm. when this movie or when this book came out or the year 2000 when this movie came out. But it seemed like for the time, it was sort of a criticism of this like male bravado yeah. because he is a loser. He's insecure. He's petty. He is obsessed with himself and he's See, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I 100% agree with you that it's a criticism, which is something we can talk about later. Um, it's definitely like a deep dive into that kind of person. And I agree. Like, I think it's hard for us in 2019 to understand entirely like this um, kind of cultural moment. Context. Yeah, yeah, where it was like, it was, this was like, like it, it was like a type of person, right? Who who defined his own pretentiousness with his record collection, and we don't really have that now. Like I think fandom and the internet has changed so much since then that we don't really have something that's quite comparable, except for things that are really toxic and scary. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like this type of nerd was pretentious, but like still pretty much harmless and maybe lovable. And I think that shows a lot in Barry's character and Dick's character. Like they're definitely still pretentious, but they're incredibly lovable. And I think maybe it's just because we don't have their inner monologue and we have Rob's inner monologue. (laughs) (laughs) But I have an easier time loving them than I do Rob. Yeah. And I think the most interesting parts of the story for me and the ones that hold up most is this idea of fandom and mm-hmm. what, you know, Rob says at the start of the novel, which is it's what you like, right. not what you're like. And it's a way of him building relationships around that. And I found it incredibly interesting because the idea of building relationships around what you like has expanded yeah. so much in society. There's for a sure. fandom for everything. Yeah. It used to just be like movies and music. Now there's literally everything. There's subreddits within subreddits and billions of Tumblr pages d- directed towards fandom and building relationships off that. And I felt like that idea of the novel for me is what holds up through the test of time rather than Rob's character. Yeah. Well, let's move on. I mean, we're kind of already talking about it. We're sort of going in depth into some of the points in the book. But mm-hmm. let's just talk about what we enjoyed about the book. Yeah. Uh, what are some things that maybe besides Rob's character that you <laughs> did enjoy going through this novel? Yeah, let's set aside Rob's character until we talk about it in depth. Um, I think they're, I think it's a, an excellently written book. Like, it was very difficult for me to review it because it is – very well written. I think the dialogue is fantastic. The characters are really good. Um, it just happens to be about a person I don't like or care about. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's like there's genuinely funny moments in the dialogue. There's this entire section at the end of the book where um, Rob and Laura are talking to each other, but they don't have dialogue tags. And usually I don't like that. But by this point in the novel, you understand both of them really well that you can tell who's talking anyway. Yeah. And so it's a very, I think that's very, very skillfully done. And so I really enjoyed the craft of this book. Yeah, he is such a good author. I think the only thing that he does in this book, and it's probably just because Rob has so much inner monologue, mm-hmm. is and maybe this is just like a personal bug of mine, but it's really long parentheses, like huge ones where it's like a half a page. And for me, I it's totally like, why don't... <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. For me, I don't know why it like bothers me a little bit, but that saying 
I think it just kind of digs into his obsessive inner monologue. So it made sense narratively why those existed. But man, yeah, Nick Hornby's such an, a good, fun author to read. Yeah. I'm a little sad that this isn't your first experience. I think I'll make you read another one of his books. I, I walked away with a very positive opinion about Nick Hornby. Um, it was a weird situation because I flew through this book. I, I read it in an afternoon. And it's not a short book. It's over 300 pages long. So it's like a, a typical size book. And I flew through it. It was a very quick, easy read. Um, but I groaned a lot through it. I sighed and I rolled my eyes. And there I, was a lot of sighing lines of, in this there's a lot book. Of, there's a lot of putting down the book for a second, taking a deep breath, and then picking it back up again. <laughs> I think if Nick Hornby listened to this podcast and he heard you say that, he would be like, yes, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that was that. a little bit the point. Yeah. Um, I also think he goes, he does a really good job of going into some like really really painfully honest discussions about relationships and about like the fantasy expectation that we put on relationships. Uh, he talks more specifically about romantic relationships, but I think it applies to friendships too. Um, and then like having to deal with the reality of what that relationship in person is actually like. And that I think was really um, interesting. I just didn't agree with how Rob walked away from it or dealt with it. <laughs> yeah. So what did you enjoy about the movie? Yeah, so I am actually a little bit lower on the movie than the book. Interesting. Interesting enough. Uh, even though they're like a shot-for-shot remake, mm-hmm. uh, the things I liked about the movie are definitely movie-unique things. The first thing is, of course, like the casting is incredible. Agreed. Like every character is hilarious. Jack Black is Barry. Can't imagine anyone else. Yeah. John Cusack, I think someone else could play him, but the thing is, is John Cusack has such a natural charm that even though Rob is a horrible human being and I don't like him and I would hate to be friends with him, he is a little bit more charming. Yeah. And you, you're still you're still following him a little bit more as the protagonist, whereas in the book, you didn't get why people liked Rob. Yeah. You just didn't. It was like, why would anybody like you? And then you watch the movie and you see John Cusack's performance. And then you're like, I I can kind of see. Yeah. I can put two and two together. I would basically agree with that. It's kind of like watching like an Adam Sandler movie where you know he's a terrible person. But Adam Sandler makes it kind of likable, even though you don't know if you like Adam Sandler, but you do. Um, I I agree with that because I think John Cusack does a very good job of – you know, I think his physical acting is very good when he's, like, angry or upset. Oh, yeah. Um, he's a great physical comic. Yeah, so he does that really well. Um, I think that he does, like, a an undercurrent of emotion very well where, like, he's saying one thing, but his, you know, his his eyes are welling up. Like, like the entire scene at the funeral played incredibly different for me. Yeah. Watching John Cusack be there than reading it from Rob's perspective. And I think that's... I came out different. So I liked the movie. I thought the movie was easier to swallow than the book, which I don't know if that means that I liked it better. I think Rob was easier for me in the movie just because in the book, you kind of have to guess when he's BSing the audience, right? Because he's talking to you in the book. And Mm -hmm. he's so not (laughs) self-aware. 
<laughs> that like you kind of have to take the things he says with a grain of salt where he's like, well, I don't care about this. I don't like this. Who cares about this? And in the movie, because it's John Cusack, you kind of get that like, no, he does care about it, but he doesn't want to admit it, which feels like such a gross admission because it's such a mm-hmm. dumb stereotype. But it ends up working a little bit easier in the movie than in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it did help that I watched the movie first because Mm -hmm. while going through the book, I imagined Rob as John Cusack and it made it easier to swallow. I did not have that luxury, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention how great Jack Black and Tom Todd Lusso. Is that how you say his last name? Probably. Todd Todd Lusso. Lusso? Luiso? One of them. Louiso. Sorry, Todd. Yeah. You oh, I love Congratulations. You. I looked up you uh Todd, I looked up your IMDB page. You were an extra on almost every show I've ever watched, so that's why you feel so familiar for me, and I love you. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Their interactions, the best part about the movie. Oh, sure. I just want to see a movie of them interacting in a record shop. Yeah. I, I think watch that the re- show. For sure. Yeah. One, they're hilarious, and for me, I think being in this music collecting culture, they are sort of like two different stereotypes Mm -hmm. that you see with people who collect music of like someone who's just like really experimental, wants you to uh, like experience all the things that they love and makes you billions of mixtapes and compilations. And then the other dude that just wants to yell in your face about how your music taste sucks. When Jack Black was going around and just shoving (laughs) records into that guy's face, I can't believe you don't have this. Don't tell anybody you've never listened to this. Blah, blah. I thought that was so funny. And I thought that was dead on. Being in that record shop reminded me of one, you know, sometimes I've gone to record shops. I don't have the luxury of like having a big one near me like this, but did remind me of actually going into one. Okay. I have been in maybe three record shops with you. They have all Mm -hmm. looked like this record shop. I feel like record (laughs) shop has not changed for 30 years. Is that true? (laughs) Yes. It doesn't help that the only record shops I've taken you to have been record shops in Chicago. Fun fact, the first record shop I took you to, Reckless Records, is a block away from the okay, location that this movie that's was shot. Okay, Because <laughs> it did feel like, so, I've, I think I've been to that record shop with David. <laughs> uh, but also the characters interacting with each other reminded me of every music forum I've ever been on, ever. Like, yeah, these people still sure. exist, they're just on the internet yes. now, and I love it. Uh, one other tidbit, Drake, young Drake Bell is in this movie, amazing. starring a young John Cusack. Absolutely amazing. I loved seeing him pre-Disney Channel, or pre-Nickelodeon. That was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I also think every female character is really, really good in the movie, too. Oh, it's so perfectly cast. Yeah. Uh, who played Marie again? Uh, Lisa, I thought she was Lisa wonderful. Monet. Fantastic. She... Zoe Kravis and her are so much alike. It's so crazy. I thought it was Zoe Kravis and Zoe Kravis is just like ageless somehow. But no, it's her mom. Incredible. Yeah. Zoe Kravis looks exactly, exactly 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 like her. It's amazing. It's crazy. I thought her scene was beautiful. She did a great job. Who's the actress who played Charlie again? Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones, yeah. Hilarious. So good as the pretentious (laughs) ex-girlfriend. 
her comedic timing of being secretly the worst one i've dated someone like that so like that i think just that character moment where like (laughs) rob realized she was terrible is like one of the few times i related to rob's character yes and i i loved it when he was just like oh my gosh she's terrible she doesn't (laughs) listen to people she spouts nothing i was like yes she says says nonsense i do feel like and maybe it was like 90s talking points that didn't like resonate with me i felt like she wasn't that bad but seeing her at like the the very pretentious like dinner party was very very funny it was incredible yeah uh laura's the actress who played Laura, who I'm just not going to remember any of these actors' names now. Uh, she, she has like a crazy was, Swedish name, so we're not going to try and say it. Yeah, I'm you sorry. Did great, Laura. Gosh, it's again the cast, the casting for this movie, top notch. Mm-hmm. Like everyone plays their role perfectly. I think they made the characters better. Uh, again, Joan Cusack yelling at at her brother, hilarious, so good. I love it. So probably the biggest reason why I like this movie and it has nothing to do with the story, the characters, anything. It is just the fact that the setting for this movie is moved to Chicago, specifically the north side of Chicago rather than the north side of London where it was Mm -hmm. in the book. Nick Hornby didn't mind. He said location really didn't matter. But what I loved about this movie, I feel like it's those types of people who watch Ready Player One and see little references and get excited. I felt like this in this movie because they nailed uh, not only Chicago music culture, but also Chicago so well. Really good. I loved it. Yeah, I felt like I was in Bucktown, basically. It was very good. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking a lot about Rod's character. So why don't we just segue straight into the next question, which is, what do you think the story is actually saying about Rob's character? Is it redeeming Rob? Is it criticizing him? Is it justifying him in any way? Like, What do you think it's actually saying about Rob? I have thought about this a lot, actually. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I didn't think this was going to be the book where – I am still questioning how I feel about it this long after completing it. Because in a lot of ways, Rob's character just sucks. Like, I still hate him at the end of the book. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to be his friend at the end. I want to be Barry's friend. I want to be Dick's friend. I don't want to be Rob's friend. I want to hang out with Liz. I want to hang out with Barry. I want to go to, you know, Barry's show and, you know, poke fun of Dick. Like, I want to do all those things. I don't want to see Rob once. Yeah, like he just doesn't learn a lot of major things yeah, at all. Like up. there's so many like the most frustrating part for me was to see him go and meet with these people he had a relationship with and besides Charlie, he did not learn anything relevant about those people. Yeah. He learned little things and it drove me crazy yeah like he was just constantly trying to absolve himself of guilt yes that was his goal his goal was not to learn from the relationship it was to absolve himself so he could feel better and so he would go into a conversation and be like great my uh my first girlfriend married the dude that she went to it so it was just like fate yeah like it, it was just a fate rejection it was they i had no choice in the matter she was going to marry this guy no matter what Yeah, so he's constantly just trying to make himself feel better rather than actually solve some of his issues. And I do see something that you have listed on that I'm not going to talk about because I see you have a section labeled Top 5 Worst Rob Moments. Mm -hmm. I do. 
And it was hard to narrow it down. <laughs> it is. It is really hard. So I'm not going to say some of those yeah. things, but there is just so many lessons he doesn't learn from those relationships. And I got. <clears throat> okay, okay, okay. We're starting to talk about it. I'm I'm going to talk about my top five worst Rob moments. Yeah, let's um, just get into it. <laughs> um, because I started dog ear. I never dog ear my books, but. I'm not looking to keep this book pristine anyway, but I started dog-earing my pages because I was like, I may have to come back and quote this to somebody to prove to them how terrible of a book this is. So, <laughs> Of a character he is, you mean? Yes. The book is, is yeah. <laughs> interesting um, and well-written. Rob is the worst person in the entire world. So top five worst Rob moments. So when he breaks up with Laura, he uh, finds out that she has moved in with a guy that used to live upstairs and the only thing she rem he remembers about him is that he's this funny 90s stereotype of a worldly guy that he hates. And um, he has very long sex with women. And uh, those things haunt him. <laughs> I will say the, the actor who played Ian in the movie was so funny. He was very good. He was so funny. Yes. And I... Even Ian's character, I enjoyed more than most characters. Anyway, um, I enjoyed Ian's character quite a bit. I thought he was pretty funny. And so when he finds out where this guy lives, he calls their house like 10 times a night until Laura picks up. He hangs up if if um, if Ray picks up, Ray, Ian, Ian, Ray, um, if the boyfriend picks up. And then he will he stands outside of her apartment and literally, creepiest thing. Literally, Liz has to be like, "You are scaring Laura. If you do not stop, they will call the police." And he's like, "Oh, okay. I guess I'll stop." <laughs> and I'm like, "I hate you. <laughs> it's not good. It's not like it takes way too many steps past being like an emotional. Like I think it's supposed to be like a funny emotional." overreaction to the situation it has not aged well it is not funny no yeah he would get arrested he would get a restraining order yes all right here comes number two number two worst moment for me okay. for rob and uh these are not in chronological these are escalating degrees of anger from me um so he has a one night stand with marie right after Right after he finds out that Laura hasn't slept with Ray yet, and he's so happy about it that he goes and sleeps with somebody because he's a dick. And so he has one night stand with Marie. The entire night, he is He is talking about how he knows that he's manipulating her into getting into bed with him, which is bananas. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, they have this kind of awkward night together because it's a one night stand. And after the fact, um, you know, Marie is also heartbroken. She just broke up with somebody that she'd been in a longstanding relationship with. So in her mind, she's, you know, they're both kind of post-breakup rebounding together. And she mm -hmm. thinks that she's having a connection with him. And so she starts talking about, like, her own kind of sexual needs and, like, how she's handling things. And she's a little bit american crass which is just she's being very honest about it and he literally says that she ruined the night because she was talking about like her own needs instead of talking about how much she wanted him she's talking about her own needs and he said that she ruined the night and i was like screw you rob <laughs> did they cut that from the movie 
I think so. They cut out his reaction. So she says all the things, but she kind of comes off as being like cool and he's like smoking and he's trying to be cool too. Um, And in the book, we get his inner monologue where he's like, I wish she hadn't had said any of that. She's ruining this. Yeah. Yeah. What a a (laughs) dick. dick. (laughs) Okay. Number three. She, okay. Uh, this is this is the I don't know why this isn't number one for you. So this has to do with the second ex girlfriend. Second ex girlfriend right? that he goes back to talk uh-huh. to. Um, she they were dating when they were sixteen, and she he talks about how their entire relationship is him trying to grope her and her not wanting him to, and him every time they're together wrestling about it, and then he finally breaks up with her, and then she goes and dates somebody else, and he hears from the guy that they've already slept together, and he's heartbroken and feels super rejected by it. He gets back together with her, and she talks about how traumatized she was because he ba- this guy basically forced himself on her. And that she couldn't even be in a relationship throughout college when she's supposed to, like, have fun and, like, meet a bunch of people because she hated sex so much because of him. And Rob is like, phew, I'm okay. I'm so glad I had this conversation. (sighs) I could not. I don't know if it's, like, a society not aging well. I don't know if Nick Hornby meant it to be as gross as it came off. But that was a very difficult moment for me. Like It was a very... Rob ugh. is so devoid of empathy. I could not... I was like, this person's... I'm not... There's never going to be anything I root for for this guy. I want terrible things to happen to him. <laughs> yeah, she said she felt like she was basically raped. Yes. And in... Here's the thing, is... In the book... I don't think I think that it's a terrible scene and it's it's a little bit more meant to be a terrible scene in the movie, though. John Cusack's reaction to this conversation is almost like slapstick. And I was it is is very much off as a joke. And I hated it. It was that was the only moment where I almost turned it off, texted you. Let's just do a different (laughs) book or movie. I'm so sorry. Just don't watch it. Yeah. I, that was very, I mean, I, I was so enraged in it by the book that by the time it happened in the movie, I was shocked that they had played it so funny in the movie. Um, it was not good. I was very mad that apparently by the end of this book, Rob's idea of consent is not changed at all. I wanted, I wanted that relationship to be the focal point. I wanted her to come up and just start beating him into the ground. I I was so mad. Well, especially because when he... When he talks about, like, um, their relationship when they're teenagers, he talks about, like, his last-ditch effort where he he talks about using more force than anybody would be okay with, even with her as a 16-year-old. And that upset me. And then to find out that this poor girl had this happen to her later. And Rob does not even think about it for a second. No. No, he just, it literally the scene happens and then he never thinks about her ever. again. He's just trying to absolve himself of wrongdoing of any guilt and then walks well, away. I don't know I if was, it's wrongdoing, but it, he wants uh, so desperately to absolve himself of rejection. That's what he's really concerned yes, with. Yes, that's it. He doesn't want any like he wants either like a good enough excuse as to why they decided not to be with them or some some reason why it felt like rejection but it wasn't actually rejection. He just wants it to not be rejection anymore. And I think that's 
it's such a hard character to deal with, I think, now. Yeah, it, I bet probably in, you know, the mid-90s, I'm guessing this wasn't seen... Like, culturally, I think people were in a different place, but, sure. like, oofa, if this was, like, written now... It'd be one of those things where the book never comes out because there's a Twitter controversy yeah, about it. Yeah, like, it would get canceled pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it could cancel. Like if this was written now, yeah. a book publisher may not want to publish yeah, it. Yeah, like, I wouldn't blame it's, them. It's pretty bad. Okay, so as if that is number four. I have two more that are somehow worse than that one. So I don't know how I know. that was like for me. <laughs> the the part where I was like, nothing Hornby does will redeem this yeah, character. Yeah, so there's this point at the like right before he and Laura get back together. And um, there's a couple of parts, like we get a lot of inner monologue from Rob. And so there's a couple of parts where he, he basically has like a whole essay that he's written for you um, about different things in society and the role of women and women and men's relationships and the expectations that he has on relationships and where those things come from and what, what blame he can put that on besides himself. And so he talks a lot about, um, you know, what he expected as a 14-year-old being in a relationship and how it's played out as a 30-year-old, which is a big theme throughout the entire book. And Mm -hmm. he has this entire, and I think it's, it's hard because it's at the end of the book. So it feels like the kind of moment where Rob should have learned something and it's not. And so he goes through this whole thing where he's like, you know, women are upset about the media portraying them as like, you know, skinny and beautiful and like this. And they're upset by that because of that standard when really they should be upset by the standard placed on them to desire men. And so he talks about how like no woman has ever looked at him like so-and-so cultural figure looked at so-and-so actor in this so-and-so movie. Um, and that that's the standard he's always comparing women to. And he ends the paragraph by saying that it's not that like, like, It's such a form of disrespect. And so he compares like a woman's inability to desire him the way he wants to be desired as disrespect. And that was such, it's, I can't, I don't know if I have the words to explain like how deeply disturbing that was to me. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's. It's pretty, it's pretty selfish and self-absorbed and crazy. It's insanely self-absorbed. And if it had come in like the middle or beginning of the book, I could write it off as being just like part of Rob's immaturity. It feels like a step in Rob's maturity, which is why it's so hard for me to handle that. Like somebody, and unfortunately it's Laura in this story, has to like deal with that kind of perspective in their own relationship. And that's so disgusting to me. <laughs> what kills me about this is I, th- I, th- I feel like I understood the point Hornby was trying to make with this. Yeah. And he did it in a in a way that somehow made Rob worse. worse. Like so he just much worse. like I wish that last line wasn't added. I wish no. he said it differently because here's the point I think he was trying to make is that men are. Or the expectation is that, like, men are going to uh, be complimented or liked mm-hmm. or just have these these very outgoing um, ways of, like, showing love to them when in reality that, like, doesn't... Like, men aren't used to getting compliments. Mm-hmm. Men aren't used to being shown desire. They're used to trying to desire women and, like, go after them in those sort of ways. And they don't really get that, even... Though in, like he's trying to make a point that like movies show it differently, and I thought that was the point he's trying to make, 
And boy, did he miss the mark. I think, it was I think it's horrible. literally just the term disrespect. Like, I think, I think the idea that, like, the fantasy created for men in media is one way, and then it plays out another way is, is super interesting. Yeah. And I think even the point he was trying to make where he was like, women are upset by this, but really they should be upset by this because this is what's really ruining everything is fine. But the fact that he calls it disrespect just translates – unfortunately that men deserve it like they deserve respect that they they are owed somehow a woman's desire even if they do literally nothing to earn it yeah and that's such an icky thing (laughs) it's like a it's like a it feels like a a cornerstone of like nice guy incel culture and that's why it has aged terribly is because we've now seen what happens when that idea blows up yeah and it feels like an excuse to take whatever you want from a woman despite what she wants and that's such a i yeah it hasn't aged well i would hope that he didn't mean for it to make sense in that book maybe he was using it for something else but i i just feel like it really missed the mark for me yeah that point did not yeah. <laughs> Does not look good 25 years later. Yeah. Okay. So my last one no, is... Last one. Number five. Number Top worst moment for me for Rob in the book. When I was, I was holding out very small threads of hope for him throughout the entire book until this part happened. And then I was like, nope, I'm officially done with him forever. Um, so this is the part that... And I think it's significant that they changed it in the movie because it paints him as such a horrible person. At Laura's dad's funeral she is super heartbroken about it he's been sick for their entire relationship he finally passes away it's kind of the thing that brings them back together and gets their relationship started again and uh rob attends the funeral um this new guy doesn't and it's this change um he rob gets into a fight with liz at um at laura's dad's funeral Mm -hmm. and she literally it's a great moment because literally uh, Liz is talking to Laura's sister about poor Laura and everything going on with Laura. And Rob is standing there. He's like, well, don't don't mind me. I'm just standing here. Don't mind talking about me. And they're <laughs> like, we aren't talking about you. We're talking about Laura. And it's like such a yes, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> such a reflective scene of seeing how selfish. Yes. Is. <laughs> and then he he loses it and he basically storms out of out of the funeral. And Laura leaves the funeral you know, her home and the party and everything to go and find him. And he hides, he hides in a flower bed, which is very funny, uh, in the mud, in the rain. And great, like eighties movie rain moment, even though it wasn't made in the eighties. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Great, great moment for, for Laura to basically call Rob out and pull him literally out of the mud of his own making. Um, and they're talking in the car and Laura's like, um, you know, talking about everything that she's going through and how hard it is. And she's like, I'm in so much pain. Will you please, can we just have sex? And in the movie, they do. And in the book, they're about to. And then Rob brings up the fact that she's been with somebody else and that they may need protection because we don't know where yeah. this Ian Ray character has been. And he literally says it like, I think it's, I think the subtext is, is that Rob is uncomfortable in that situation. He doesn't know how to communicate it or talk to Laura about it. Um, 
And instead, he says, I said it just to hurt her because I was suddenly in the I suddenly had the power to hurt her. So I wanted to. And I was so done with Rob. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, that moment is horrible. It he is completely they talk about the relationship after the fact. Uh, they like go out for burgers or something like that. And Laura is talking to him about how everything has fallen apart and about how guilty she feels because she had like kind of this moment of relief because her dad's suffering is finally over and this is like such an adult thing to deal with. Um but so heartbreaking because it's her father. And he is literally in his mind, he's like, blah, blah, blah. When are we going to talk about me? Yeah. I just, <laughs> he's such a horrible person. He's, he's so bad. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. And I just, it's, my it's, heart, it's exhausting. Point, it is exhausting. And I was ready, like, I was ready from the beginning to be like, Laura's the worst. And then you hear so many things about Rob and you're like, no, Laura is the best and she deserves good things. And don't get back with Rob. Laura, just do anything else. Move in with Liz. Move in with your parents. Do anything but get back together with Rob. <laughs> it's so died. funny how Rob's, Rob is the villain of he this movie. The he is his, I mean, he's his own villain. And that's kind of the point of the book, but oof. I think at that point, I was so exhausted from Rob's terribleness because I'll be honest like my point of no redemption is after he had the talk with his second girlfriend yeah and uh like just didn't even phase him what he did to her that's honestly the point where I like I was just like okay Rob's irredeemable (laughs) like there's nothing Rob can do so I think when I got to that part I was like oh this is just Rob being a terrible human being again but oh my gosh it's it you do get exhausted by the end of the book of Rob. And I think that's why, like you said, you read this in an afternoon. It took me a lot longer to read this book because yeah. I had to take a lot of mental breaks yeah. from Rob. So, yeah, I get that. Ugh. Well, and I think it makes, um, you know, going back to talk about like, what is the story trying to say about Rob? He is a horrible person. And I think, I think the movie does its work to try and redeem him, to make him seem like he's going to be a yeah. person after after the story is told. And I don't I think the book specifically doesn't. I don't think it's I don't think it's criticizing him enough, to be honest. Um, because mm-hmm. everybody like he somehow still has good friends and he somehow still despite like he has like a birthday party that he can't get anybody to show up to, which I think is pretty good. Um <laughs> but like he still has people in his life that care about him that he does not deserve whatsoever. Uh, So I don't think the story goes far enough to criticize him and the the type of person he is and his deep well of insecurity that he's inflicting on everybody around him. Um, And that may be because of the time it was written in. Um, I want, I really wonder if it would be completely different if he wrote it again today, like completely fresh new idea today. Um, I mean, what do you do you feel like, you know, you have a male's perspective, I have a lady's perspective, so it's a little bit different, and I feel like Rob should be left in the gutter. But do you feel like this is saying that a super selfish, irredeemable man can ever move past the fear of rejection? Do you and insecurity? Do you think it's actually saying that? This is such a tough question for me, Amanda, because <laughs> here's the thing. As a male perspective, I will say Rob is 
one of the worst characters I've ever had to deal with. Was, he is so frustrating. I was but, so shocked. I read so many reviews from the 90s about this book where they're just like, yep, it's the typical male experience. And I'm like, really? Because this is awful. <laughs> Thank God we're alive right now and not in the 90s. Ugh. Picture dating in the How 90s where you just had to deal with a bunch of robs. Ugh. The book and the the movie want Rob to be redeemed of his insecurities. And I think it has to do with the fact that he has, like, found redemption in, like, being able to work on it with another person. Because he doesn't get better until he starts listening to Laura. Nothing about his character is better until they're back together. That's the only time where the words coming out of Rob's mouth, I didn't want to take them and shove it back down his mouth and then cut his head off so he never had to say them again, okay? (laughs) So I think they're trying to redeem his character by saying, Rob alone is not redeemable. You need somebody else to lift you up. But that saying, he doesn't, like, he doesn't, think of her that way Mm -hmm. like I don't I'm not buying that he looks up to her or he is that uh that person that he needs to be for her like if this was reversed it doesn't work Mm -hmm. so I think one of the most interesting changes I totally forgot to add this in earlier is that at the end of the movie Rob has a top five things he loves about Laura and they do not have that in the book and I thought, yeah, that's true. I yeah, that I totally forgot about that scene too. That was a, that was like one of my favorite shot scenes, by the way, because it's on bridge. the uh, yeah. uh, what what street is that? The Kenzie Street Bridge, mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite locations too. So yeah, I agree with you. That was that was also an effective scene because it was like, oh, Rob likes her. Rob actually <laughs> likes her. Yeah. Well, and he talks about like you know so much of the book, he is incredibly intimidated by a successful woman around him. Mm-hmm. And Liz calls him out on it a bunch of times. And she's like, he's like, well, you're just saying that because you're a feminist. And it was like very 90s. Oh, my gosh. The misuse <laughs> of the word feminist in this book. Um, Let's not get into that. But oh, my gosh. Oof, a in doofa. the movie, he's like, Liz is smarter than or not Liz. Uh, Laura is smarter than me. And I like her because of it. And she's mm-hmm. better at these things. And I like her because of it. And we never get that in the book from him. And I think that really hurts any kind of understand like any redemption that rob could have had it i I think it like discounted him from it yeah completely removed him yeah okay so we talked all about (laughs) kind of feminism all about male insecurity and stuff like that this is being remade with a female lead how do you think it will affect the story let me go on the record by saying i am actually super excited about this yeah i will definitely watch Uh, it we will probably do an updated podcast on it we've already talked about it i heard uh like people were upset about this because you're right this book is so much about like the male perspective but that saying uh i think one a female perspective in this day of age would actually be super refreshing Mm -hmm. i think a lot of things have changed in the past 25 years I think that not getting a male perspective on sex would be super refreshing yeah. because Rob's idea of it drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. It's just gross. It's gross. Um, also, I have an idea. Let me pitch this to okay. you. Okay. On what I think the episodes should be structured like. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there is a theme in this uh, book 
that it's one of the more famous lines of this book. And which came first, the music or the misery? Yeah, Do you listen to pop song. music and it makes you sad? Yeah. Or are you sad because you listen to pop music? So I have an idea that each episode is based off of a different pop song mm-hmm. and the lesson that this character is trying to take from that song. And it's not as explicit. It could be a little bit more subtle, but it's lessons learned from love through pop songs. Follow up question. How many of these songs do you expect to be from Carly Rae Jepsen? Okay. First of all, <laughs> she is wonderful. I love her. She's the best artist ever. Oh, I know. And I hope, I hope she is mostly 50%. focused. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the reason why I want it to be about that. Because I think that uh, I would like a criticism, a smart criticism of love mm-hmm. portrayed through pop music. Mm-hmm. And yes, half of these songs are actually going to be Taylor Swift because her entire persona is a Sisyphusian journey <laughs> of trying to find love and losing true. it. Yeah, that's very true. But I think it would just be really smart. It play into uh, those who love music really well, mm-hmm. and I think you'd find a new audience. And I think it makes sense for a ser- serialized TV show to follow. So, uh, Hulu, Disney, my, I'll give you my, my address. Check. Just email <laughs> email us at stuff at adaptedforyourviewingpodcast dot com. Uh, I also take Venmo and PayPal. Yeah, Venmo and PayPal, cash, obviously. You can also pay me in records. Like, I do accept that. Fine, I guess. 100%. I guess it was your idea. (laughs) Yes, I get all the monies. (laughs) No monies for Manda. So this was something I was thinking of including. I'm not sure. This might be, if there's anything I cut from this episode, it might be this. But I have, here is my fan theory. Usually you have theories. Here is my theory for this movie. And this is built through personal experience. This is... Asterisk, this is not so much a theory as an idea to make this thing better. So go ahead. <laughs> yes, this is this is less of a theory and more of an idea that if we added Rob's character would be much different. And that is Rob's character would be more redeemable, would learn his lessons and probably would have never gotten into this mess if he would have had sisters or an older sibling. Yes. Just really any <laughs> other sibling would make him a completely different person because I think the way he is is entirely because he is a coddled only child who still, like, hangs out at his mom's house. He goes to his parents' house, and then he's mad that they have plans. And I'm like, they have lives without you, Rob. Look at your, <laughs> you're in your 30s. Go figure out something else to do. <laughs> he needed an older sister to come in and be like, Rob, you're being a dick right yes. now, okay? I think Liz was supposed to be that, but I think if he just got that when he was, like, 13 and he went home and he's like, mm, this girl made out with this other dude and now I'm sad, and then you could come in and be like, boy, you d- you know nothing of love. Why do I sound so aggressive? <laughs> I don't know. Is this because uh, I made you kill that mouse one time in my room and you've never recovered? <laughs> no. Never. I think I think the only reason why I think this is because Rob learning the lesson that Charlie is a terrible girlfriend is one I learned through my own experience of you sitting me down and telling me the girl that I had dated was a a terrible, boring person. When you were talking about getting back together with her. And I was like, please, please don't. She's awful. Guys, older sisters, you they do a lot for you. No, I think I think any sibling would have helped because I think even the problem with Rob is that he just literally doesn't empathize with a person outside of himself. So even if he just had a younger sibling uh, who 
he had to take care of or think about at any point of his life. Like he has literally never thought about anybody else from day one to day or somewhere 36. <laughs> yeah. That or at least someone to talk to because he doesn't talk about his problems until the end of the book. Yeah. So if he just had a single sibling who told him he was being an idiot yeah. and then he could explain his points. And then once again, they could say, Rob, you're being an idiot. Yeah. None of he this. Doesn't, yeah, happened. he doesn't like to listen to anybody else's perspective until those conversations at the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. 100% needs a sibling to kick his ass. <laughs> uh so do we have any nitpicks i really didn't i'll be honest i don't have any nitpicks i thought for a while i don't really have a little nitpick that doesn't really change the plot yeah i think my only one nitpick was something silly and small in the movie i the minute that jack black was okay i didn't know that jack black was in this movie so that was a very fun surprise um, and obviously he is perfect as Barry. As soon as I saw that it was Jack Black, I was very excited for the concert at the end. And I was really hoping they wouldn't cut it and it not be, um, obviously I thought immediately, okay, they have to, they cast Jack Black so that he could put in a concert at the end of this movie. And yeah. then the concert was like, okay. It wasn't like, I was expecting like school of rock level fun. <laughs> And it was just like, okay, I understand that it was like early Jack Black, so maybe he wasn't quite settled into like his persona. I thought that he was like doing music at this time too, though, wasn't he? Yeah, Tenacious D was a thing, and they did perform, I forget if they performed on set one time. I don't know, there was, Tenacious D did some performances around this movie. So I thought it was fun, um, but I thought it could be more fun. And that was literally my only nitpick. (laughs) I wanted. So I you wanted, wanted some more pyrotechnics. <laughs> I I really do just want like, if this movie was just exclusively about the record shop guys interacting with each other, I think the reason why I enjoyed watching the deleted scenes because there's like there's almost 16 minutes of deleted scenes, which is really? crazy. There's never that many deleted mm-hmm. scenes when I go looking for them. But the reason why I enjoyed a lot of them is because so many are just of them interacting in the record shop, and it's hilarious. You know what is one of my favorite parts about this movie and what I think they get well, they get right about like fandom is this idea of having like very arbitrary rules around things. So like his arbitrary rules around like playlist making, like I have dumb rules. They're different from things. Do you have any like arbitrary rules around like books or something like that? Like weird fandom rules? Um, I don't know because I'm... I like very deeply believe like reading a book is such an intimate experience. So I very, very deeply believe that everybody should just read whatever the hell they want all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I read across so many different genres and appreciate so many different genres for what they are. Um, There are very few genres that I don't read, to be honest. So I really don't have any rules. I have it I do have a list of questions I go through when somebody asks me for a recommendation because I want to make sure I give them the exact <laughs> book they're looking for. Okay, that's what I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, so I asked them, you know, <laughs> what were the last books that they loved that they read? What was the bo- last few books that they they read that they hated? Um, you know, what kind of mood are they in? What kind of experience do they want to have like tonally like reading? I ask them a whole bunch of questions and then I give them a lot of recommendations. So that's the only like arbitrary kind of structure I have to books. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about you? you? Do you have like any arbitrary? You're super into music. 
I mean, my arbitrary rules are, I mean, I have one similar to Rob. Like, I have very specific playlist-making rules, just like him. Like, I have a rule that it should never be longer than 45 minutes. Like, longer than a standard uh, album length, because if you do, then it's just a bunch of songs. It has no flow. You get bored. It has to be within 45 minutes, or else you're just gonna get bored by the end of it. You also have an arbitrary way of organizing your music, don't you? Oh, oh, you're going to call me out on the podcast. No, this is a this is an arbitrary way that I describe music yeah. to cuz here's the yeah. thing. When you're into music and someone's like, "What does this band sound like? Mm-hmm. What's this album like?" Mm-hmm. You tend to spurt out a billion different genres that like just sounds Russian exhausting. Russian folk rap? I don't know. No, like like for example, I love a record right now by the artist. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you <laughs> what I mean. I love a record right now by Sturgill Simpson that is country, rock, funk, and psychedelic eighties prog rock. Okay? Does that sound accessible to you? No, I can't even no. begin to understand what that you can't that's the problem instruments are involved i don't know how many vocals are happening i don't know if it's going to make me happy or or weirded out i don't know anything about that that is why i have stolen naming conventions from probably tumblr i think (laughs) uh and i've classified them in to no longer classifying how music sounds but how it makes you Mm -hmm. feel and so there is uh there's banger jam uh groove Feet, uh, feels, and jam. Did I say jam? I said jam twice. <laughs> let me let me do this again. There's banger, jam, groove, feels, and there's one more. That oh I'm no! <laughs> I don't know. I forgot it. But basically, the whole idea is that you can you can only combine two of them. Mm-hmm. So. You know, that is a jammy banger. Uh-huh. You have an idea of what that's going to feel like. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. So what, what would you describe? Everyone in the future is going to describe music like this, Amanda. It's- Everyone in the future is going to describe mm-hmm. it. And that it sounds like you have like the five senses and then like the unnamed Japanese sense that you don't know how to name or what it tastes like. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's whatever makes Bruce Willis. Uh, appear in the corner. Sense. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. Nailed, Nailed it. it. Nailed it. Nailed it. So funny. <laughs> Stop laughing. I know everyone's rolling on the ground laughing right now. Calm down. Uh, okay. So, David, would you recommend? <laughs> we needed that. We needed that because talking about Rob is so yes, exhausting. We need some lightness in this conversation. <sighs> we talk way too much about consent in this <sighs> in this podcast episode oh than I was expecting. <laughs> We're talking about books and movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so David, would you recommend people read this book? Okay, after having this conversation with you, I can definitely actually answer this and say no. I don't think you should read the book. <laughs> and it's not because uh, this isn't something that isn't worth consuming. I still think you should go back and read a Nick Hornby book. He's a fantastic author. Yeah. I will recommend something else to you. But the thing is, is I think you're right. I think the changes that the movie makes improves the story ever so slightly. Not mm-hmm. ton, but ever so slightly. And for the most part, you get everything in the book just wrapped up in a like two-hour package rom-com. And you get to watch 
Jack Black during it. Who doesn't want that? So I'm going to actually yeah. go out on a limb and say, skip the book. Watch the movie. Yeah. What I, would your recommendation be? I would agree with that. I would say skip the book. Go read something else by Nick Hornby. He is obviously super skilled. Um, just like a, a class act and character and dialogue. But I think that, you know, he's come out with more recent books. He has books with female protagonists now that um, maybe would be a better use of your time. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so, yeah, in conclusion – Skip the book. I think this is the first time we've done that, where it's just like, yeah, skip the book, is. watch the movie. Yeah, skip the book, wow. watch the movie. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would recommend this movie, too. Are you recommending this movie, then? Yeah, I'd recommend it, especially if you, like, love music and you're familiar with the Chicago music scene. You're just going to fall in love with the dumbest of things, like yeah. I did. Yeah, this made me really want to, like, go back and just, like, watch some 90s rom-coms and maybe stick this somewhere in the lineup when you go back and do that. I thought it was I thought it was fun enough and enjoyable enough. Um, and if you still want to rant and rave about Rob's character, you have the ability to do that. But it's a little bit easier to swallow. Yeah. I, I will say this was bad because I was trying to save up money. And then I read this book and watched this movie. And then I went to my record shop yesterday and spent like 100 bucks on records. <laughs> so don't do it if you don't have any self-control. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, so that'll wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe uh, so you get automatically updated when new episodes come out at wherever you get your podcasts. We are brand spanking new still. So if you enjoyed anything we talked about in the last hour plus, uh, please leave us a review and tell your friends. Yep. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We are adapted for your viewing podcast on all of those platforms. Uh, you can also send us suggestions on what we should talk about next by shooting us an email at stuff at adaptedforyourviewingpodcast.com. Tell us which Nick Hornby book you would like to see. Because I just want to do all of them, I'll be honest. Yeah. It's like Nick Hornby and every spooky story imaginable. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so Amanda, what are we consuming next? Because it's your pick. Uh, so this is a fun one because I read this book in probably eighth grade. I want to say it would about be about the time that I picked up this book. Uh, they came out with a movie about it a couple years later that I took my two little brothers to, and it was super fun. Um, this would be the movie and book Holes, and I'm super. Oh yeah, to do it. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf, man. Young, young Shia LaBeouf. Um, one of my favorite characters of all time, Madame Zeroni, gracing the screen for us and the pages. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we still make jokes about Madame Zeroni to this day, and so I will be super excited to revisit her. All right. Tune in next time to hear all about how we rate that adaptation. Until then, send me your top five worst Rob moments and what you would do <laughs> to him in the year 2019. Yes. You're, uh, the top five <laughs> places you would punch Rob if you heard what he had to say. There you go. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, send us your top five, um, top five songs you want him to include in the next uh, reboot. Hmm. See, That's pretty good. Albums and or songs or artists they complete. I have found like to be honest, I have found shows with a really good soundtrack really make a difference for me. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that I like season one of Riverdale because the soundtrack is so good. 
Ooh, I got a lot of opinions on the first soundtrack to reveal. That's opening up a can of worms. Okay, this is where we're ending it. We're not going to spend three hours talking Tune about Rivertale. Tune in next time for my Rivertale. our Riverdale podcast. Riverdale podcast. We're not going to season two, though. You will not make me go to season two. All right, bye. Bye.